So Revelation 13 and verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So I introduced to you the the probability that the Antichrist will be killed in the midst of the seven-year tribulation period. It's possible that he will be assassinated, and then he will come back from the dead. So there will be a resurrection. Um, what I want to do is... I want to show you some of the similarities between between God and His program and, and Satan's counterfeit. So, we know that God is a holy trinity. And that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are called God, have the attributes of God, characteristics of God. Three persons of one holy Godhead, all co-equal, all co-eternal. There never was a time when the Son did not exist as the Son of God. And then we have an unholy trinity. An unholy trinity. That is... In, in Revelation 13, and uh, someone says that the numbers in the Bible, you know, mean nothing, and, and that's ridiculous. They do mean something. Uh, they're not just coincidence. You have Satan. Then you have the uh, Antichrist. So he copies everything that the Son does. And then you have, in the third place of the unholy trinity, you have the false prophet. He's the second beast in that chapter. So just like, just like Jesus had his, his uh, prophets and he had his forerunner, the, uh, John the Baptist, who spoke for him, uh, Satan will also have that for the Antichrist. So you have an unholy trinity. There's a lot of likenesses there between the three of them that uh, I'm not going to go to too much into detail tonight. But you see there in verse 3, one of his heads, one of the heads of this, of this beast, from Revelation 13, 1, one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. That head is speaking directly of the Antichrist. And he is wounded, and it's a deadly wound. It's pretty clear there, wounded to death. So he dies. And his deadly wound was healed. So he's healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. It's no wonder that he is uh, receiving the acclaim that he gets in the tribulation period. He comes back from the dead just like Jesus Christ. And then he has his false prophet who's working miracles. And deceiving many, and then working to tell people to worship. Worship the Antichrist, the one who came back from the dead. And there's an image set up of the Antichrist. 
And the false prophet has miraculous abilities. He's able to make that image speak. And everyone is supposed to bow down to that image. The type of that is in the Old Testament with Daniel and uh, his three Hebrew friends and, 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 and uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So, this is the Antichrist, Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, the prediction that he will die and rise again from the dead. Also, notice in 2 Thessalonians, we looked at this last time, but I just want to hit it again on our way through the scriptures. 2 Thessalonians, so you'll go to the left, just keep turning, you'll get past uh, Hebrews, and you'll get into the Pauline epistles, you'll pass 1 and 2 Timothy, and then you'll get to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. So... The Antichrist is empowered by Satan. And his ministry is to destroy God's people, the Jews, in the tribulation period. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. The mystery of iniquity. Remember last time I said the mystery of iniquity has to do primarily with the Antichrist. Okay? The mystery of iniquity doth already work, Paul said. That's back in the first century. Maybe, you know, as early as 60 uh, AD. And he was, he was already at work. And he was already at work in the time of Christ during his three and a half year ministry. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, we're not going to look at he who now let or hinders or prevents. Uh, that's a word that's used today in, in uh, tennis. It's one of the uh, great rules of tennis to let. Uh, if you hit your tennis ball and it hits the top of the net in the center and uh, is prevented from going over or prevented from going over clearly, the umpire will jump out and he'll scream or he'll say loudly, let, you know, and that's a, a rule that says that the ball was hindered or prevented by crossing over that net. So this, uh, this one here, he hinders something. He prevents something from happening. And that has to do with the mystery of iniquity. We're going to come back next week and talk about that specifically. But for now... The mystery of iniquity doth already work. So, with Jesus in his three and a half year ministry, the, uh, the son of perdition, Jesus says, was Judas. So, Judas is identified as the son of perdition. We looked at that last time. The word perdition simply means uh, damnation. Okay? Jesus said, not, uh, not Clarence Larkin. You know, a great dispensa dispensational Bible teacher. Not C.I. Schofield, another great dispensational Bible teacher. Uh, not not, uh, not uh, Renee Showers, you know, of Israel My Glory, another good dispensational Bible teacher. Jesus said that Judas is the son of perdition. He identified him. So that's why I say that. What I, what I believe happens 
is we read in Revelation that the, the Antichrist, that when he, when he dies and he comes back from the dead, that the beast rises up out of the bottomless pit. What I believe is that when Judas hung himself, fell to the bottom of that cliff uh, into the, uh, the place that Jesus referred to as being just like hell, uh, and that would be, uh, just escape my mind, the, is a valley where they threw all the trash, all the dead bones, the carcasses of, of dead animals and so on. Uh, Gehenna. Huh? Gehenna. Gehenna. And so when Judas dropped down there and his bowels burst out on the rocks, he died a suicide death. He made an insincere repentance. He changed his mind. He realized what he did was wrong. But it wasn't a repentance and salvation. And when he died, uh, Jesus said he was the son of perdition and he lost him. Peter says that he went to his own place. His own place, I believe, is none other than the bottomless pit. And then after the, the Antichrist is killed, like this, so you have seven years of the tribulation, it's probable, it looks like, at the three and a half year mark, at that point, that the Antichrist is assassinated. Okay? So, the, the man of sin, we, we identified, and, and I put it this way, okay, so you can take it as a grain of salt, that I think he's the man of sin, prophetically, in the first half of the tribulation. The man of sin. When he is assassinated, and when he comes back, comes up from the dead as the son of perdition, for the last three and a half... I believe he is Judas, resurrected from the bottomless pit, put into a human body, just like the Son. The Son was God incarnate, right? We all understand that clearly from the Bible. The Antichrist is Satan incarnate, Satan in the flesh. In other words, he's the man of he's the son of perdition. He is a devil incarnate. In a body, the son of perdition for the last three and a half years. And when that happens, he has unrestrained power. He is free to do his worst for three and a half years. And what does he begin to do during the last half of that tribulation? He goes after God's people. He's trying to kill the Jews to destroy them, to wipe them off the face of the map. Don't miss that. Don't miss that part because we'll come back to that. Yes, yes, yep. And so, uh, well, let's, let's look at Genesis 3 on that note. That's the exact idea that I'm going after. That is what Satan has been trying to do from the very beginning. Satan has been trying to destroy God's people. So Genesis 3, and albeit God's, God's people rejected their Messiah, they're still God's chosen people, and God still has a plan for them. Right now, they are apostate Israel. They're a nation in rebellion. And uh, they, they would not receive Christ, so they're going to get Antichrist. 
to rule over them. He's a king. It's talking about being a king coming out of the bottomless pit. And uh, he has his kingdom for three and a half years anyways. And so, notice in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, this is the, what they call the proto-logamina, the first gospel. And it says, and I will put enmity. So, the Lord is judging Adam and Eve and Satan for what they did in the garden. All right. Now he's dealing with Satan right here, the, the, the old serpent. I will put enmity, that is just fight, 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 between thee, Satan, and the woman, right, Eve, and between thy seed. Did you ever notice that? You ever notice that in your Bible? The Bible says, this is uh, God talking to Satan in the garden, and God says that Satan has a seed. I'll put enmity between Satan's seed and her seed, the seed of a woman. Now, a woman doesn't have a seed. We know that. Go back to biology in school. Uh, that refers to her progenitors. Uh, that refers to the human race, first of all. The, the you know, man is born of woman. So all of men born of, of women throughout uh, the history of the human race. But specifically, there will be one final seed that that is prophetically referring to, and that's the Messiah, right? That's the way we've learned that verse and understood it, and we're absolutely correct in understanding that. The woman's seed, namely Christ, will deal a death blow to Satan's plan. But, but notice, don't miss that Satan has a seed too. So that means that all of the, the woman's seed ending in the coming Messiah, all that is referring to a line of people that are differentiated, or there's a distinction between them and the seed of Satan. That means that Satan has his people and God has his people. Yeah, sure. Yep. So you have thy seed, her seed. Her seed is, is there's a line that goes all the way from Eve, and you read about it in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. You read about it, and it just hits the highlights. You know, and it culminates in the Messiah. And then, so there's humanity represented there, right? God's people, people that are on the Lord's side. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you have people who reject the revelation of God, any light that was given to them. So this would be Nimrod and his crew, Babylon, thy seed. All the way to the son of perdition. Doesn't don't don't miss that it says son. That's the Antichrist. That's Judas. 
reincarnated or resurrected. So you have the devil's seed and you have her seed. When Jesus showed up, what did he call the Pharisees? He called them names, didn't he? He called them hypocrites. He called them vipers, snakes. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 I got I got eighteen. Eighteen of just what you're talking about. And Hitler. Yep. Hitler is like an extra biblical type of the Antichrist. Yeah. Non non biblical type. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and that's exactly it. Satan has been trying to kill God's people. What happened with the first two children that Adam and Eve had? Right? Cain and Abel? Cain is of Satan's seed. Abel is of her seed. Cain tries to kill him. He's following what God told him to do. Cain's religion was rejected. And it goes just like that, guys. When, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites, you're snakes, you're venomous, you know, snakes. He said, you are of your father, the devil. He meant that. And guess what? The Bible says of us Gentiles that we are strangers. <laughs> We're children of the devil too, before we got saved. Then we get born again in the Christ line. You must be born again. And we get uh, adopted as sons. What you have, and, and then all down through history, thy seed. Satan has a seed. Her seed. This is what happens. You have, uh, let's, turn to, uh, let's turn to Ezekiel 30. I'll just keep kind of peeling this like an onion, like layers of an onion. Look at Ezekiel. There's more in that Bible that, that, than then you get at first blush or, or first glance. That is, these, these are the kind of things that the Lord doesn't show to a lazy Christian. And uh, I mean that with the full weight of those words. He says, study to show thyself approved. That means if you don't study, you're not approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That means if you don't do some work, roll up your sleeves... Spiritually speaking, and do some work to study and rightly divide the word of truth, guess what? We should be ashamed. Especially in America. My goodness, we've got all kinds of Bible study helps. We have so much in America. And these are just things that you're just not going to get unless you really study. And, and I can explain them to you tonight. But I'm going to tell you, until you take the responsibility to say, I'm going to study this for myself. I'm going to be like the Bereans. I'm going to go home and see if these things are so... The more you study it, the more you get exposed to it, the more the Lord says, i got somebody here on the line that's really interested in learning these things and learning some of the deeper things of God. And I'm going to start to, the entrance of that word giveth light, giveth understanding to the simple. He starts to give light on it. And then one of these days, I think we're going to see the full magnificent picture of all of this, but we see through a glass darkly right now, you know? That's what the Bible says. Um, so we, we can understand it. Uh, as much as what the Lord gives to us clearly, and then we just kind of say it's probable about this or about that after that. So in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 24, 
Okay, so notice in this verse, Ezekiel 30 and verse 24. Notice in this verse, he starts talking about the king of Babylon. And he talks about the king of Egypt, old Pharaoh. You'll find that what you're reading in Ezekiel, it's a tough book. Um, what you're reading in this chapter and then the next chapter, it's an, it's an allegory or an analogy. An allegory is a, an analogy that uses different parts to explain something, to teach something. And so he's using the king of Babylon. I'll strengthen the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break Pharaoh's arms and he shall groan before him with the groanings of a deadly wound. Now, in the Bible, now what you're reading is you're reading about the king of Babylon, you're reading about Pharaoh, but these people, this is an allegory that represents the battle between Satan's seed and the woman's seed, which is God's people. You're reading about all of these key characters in the Bible. God the Father. God's great plan of redemption from Genesis 3.15 would come forth. The Redeemer who would undo everything that Satan messed up in the garden. You're reading about Satan. You're reading about his Antichrist. You're reading about God's people. And what you have is, is through these prophecies and throughout the Old Testament, you have types. Types of the Antichrist. You have a lot of them in the Old Testament. So we, we mentioned some extra biblical types like... Uh, Hitler, and then you mentioned one, you mentioned Pharaoh and Herod. Those are some biblical types. Alright, so what you have, you're reading about Pharaoh there. Now notice that God sends Babylon in, Nebuchadnezzar. What's the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and the Pharaoh? Specifically, as they touch the Jew. Because nobody's mentioned in the Bible unless they touch the Jew. Otherwise, inconsequential. It's not recorded in the Bible. The only reason why these other nations show up is because they touch the Jew. So what's the difference between Babylon and, and Pharaoh? Babylon and, and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was called God's servant, which is very interesting. But what happened to Nebuchadnezzar after God judged him? What did Nebi do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then God judged Nebuchadnezzar and he acted like an animal for, what, seven years? Seven years. And then he repented. And then what did he do? Does anybody remember? He sent out this encyclical letter over all the world that says there's only one true God. And I've met him. He's dealt with me. And so basically he witnesses to the whole world about this one true God, the God of the Jewish people. So he acknowledges God and, glory, and glorifies him. Did Pharaoh ever do that? Nope. Pharaoh hardened his neck. God hardened Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God hardened Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, right up to the very end, tried to destroy God's people. Right? All the way to the point of the Red Sea. I mean, he was just mad with hatred and anti-Semitic, you know, hatred. And was just going, to, and then right to the point to where in that Red Sea, God destroyed him with a great watery uh, grave, you know? Great watery death and grave. Uh, there's a picture in that. God's trying to teach us something. So, 
Babylon's whooping up on Pharaoh because Pharaoh is a picture, strong picture of the Antichrist. Yes, it does. It represents a lot of stuff, don't it? So does uh, Jordan. So remember I said the Antichrist is empowered by Satan to do what? To destroy Israel. To fight against Israel. Now look, this is what you have. You have 18 types. 18 types of the Antichrist in the Bible that Bible students have categorized. These are types of 666. You remember uh, the number of the beast is the number of a man, a man, a seed, the number of a man. Okay, you've got 18 types of Antichrist. Now don't worry, I'm not going to start writing them all out. Okay, but... I'll just put six. Now just imagine there's another six right there. Another six right there, all the way down to 18. Okay, now I'll just list them off. Cain. He's a type. That is, he pictures the person, the character, the activities of the Antichrist. It'll be fulfilled in the tribulation. Nimrod. Esau. Pharaoh. Balak. Sisera. So as you're reading through your Bible this time, pay attention to those things, you know. Abimelech. Saul, a great type of the Antichrist. Absalom. Jeroboam. Ahab. Sennacherib. Nebuchadnezzar. He's also a type. Haman. Caesar in the New Testament. Herod. Uh, I believe you mentioned Herod, killing all those children, trying to destroy the seed, and uh, Judas. All of those men were empowered by, energized by Satan to do something in particular. Destroy God's people, the nation of Israel. So they're all types. Now you know what's crazy about that? 666. You got three groups of six. If you add six up, You get 18, right? 18 types of the Antichrist in the Bible. The universal product code, you know the bar marks that you see on packages, how they ring up packages. That universal bar code, uh, Ralph, a student of Bible prophecy said, was the first sign of the economic system of Revelation 13, verse 18. He said that's the first sign that it's starting to happen. Because you cannot buy or sell unless you get the mark. And then we already know that there's technology that goes under the skin. And the forehead or in the right hand, you know, is where it's going to be. That technology has existed for a long time in different forms. They're just getting better and better at doing it. You know what the barcode is? The barcode is three groups of sixes. 18 digits. Coincidence, you think? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And there's other things about numerology that men have seen, but you say, is that the mark of the beast? No, I think what he said is what we ought to take. It's the first sign of the economic system of the Antichrist that's coming. Notice in chapter 31, verse 15 
of Ezekiel. 31 verse 15. 31 verse 15. All right, now remember, what you're reading is you're reading an allegory. And when you're reading the prophets, it's just unlike any other kind of literature. He could say something, and he doesn't understand what he's prophesying. The prophets would go back and study their own writings. Take one little thing out of here, and it becomes a prophecy about the Antichrist. And then the next thing you know, he's talking, and it's a prophecy about the first advent. Next thing you know, it's, it's a prophecy about the second advent. And it just that's the way it goes in Scripture. We know that because we've studied the prophecies of the first advent. So when you're reading it, you start to see that this is a reference to what the Bible says is going to happen with the Antichrist. So Revelation or Ezekiel 31, verse 15. All right. And thus saith the Lord God, in the day when he went down to the grave, I caused a mourning. All right, somebody's going down to the grave. I covered the deep for him, and I restrained the floods thereof. And the great waters were stayed. Water is a picture of death in the Bible. I caused Lebanon to mourn for him, and all the trees of the field to mourn for him. Now he's talking about these great nations. And if you read the context, and we don't have time to, to study all of the context, but this is a comparison between Assyria and Egypt. And these men that are types of the Antichrist. And he talks about one of them dying. Okay, and then coming back to life. Let's look at one more. So you're Ezekiel, go to the right, Daniel 11. Daniel 11. And let's look at Daniel 11, verse... You have Egypt and Syria this time. He's talking about Persia. He's talking about Greece. He's talking about Egypt. And then he gets to Antiochus Epiphanes later on in the chapter. And what Antiochus is, is a man who was inspired, if you want to use that word, um, empowered, filled by the devil to do an antichrist work which is destroy God's people the Jews so you have Daniel 11 verse 36 this is directly uh, pointed at the antichrist a prophetic writing that is pointed at the antichrist and the king shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself now, he's talking about what Antichrist is going to do. He'd been talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, but this goes beyond that man. And he shall, be, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, lowercase g, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, Jehovah, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. The indignation, the time of God's wrath, for that, that is determined, shall be done. For that, that is determined, whatever is determined, shall be done. Now, if you compare those words with what we've already studied, that's how you understand that this is a prophetic reference to deal with the Antichrist. So you have to put all the things together. It would be nice if God wrote the Bible in, in this way. If God just said, okay, here's a chapter on the Antichrist. And told us everything about the Antichrist. And said, here's a chapter 
about the nation of Israel and told us everything about that. Here's a chapter about Christ's first advent, told us everything about that. God doesn't do it like that. That's not the way he wrote this book. It's an unusual book, and I think it's this way because God wants us to study. All the time, yes. And that's the only way you're going to grow. But, you know, you don't start with this stuff. This is the meat of the Word. You don't start here. You start with the milk of the Word. Um, Okay, so, all right, having said that, let's go ahead and let's finish up with Zechariah. I want to show you this. So, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah is right before it. Or Zechariah. So, the, la- the second to last book in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verse 14. So, I showed you in Second Thessalonians a prophecy that the Antichrist will die and will come back from the dead. I showed you that in Revelation. Then we went back in the Old Testament to show you some Old Testament examples of that as well. To talk about the typology of the Antichrist in the Old Testament. Now I'd like to just show one more prophecy. There's many others, many, many more about the Antichrist. But here's one that shows you the nature of his, uh, his religious deception. So, Zechariah 11, verse 17. He's a religious man. He makes a new religion. It's known in Revelation as the whore, mystery Babylon. The whore in Revelation is this mystery religion. And the other kings, you know, there's ten kings in the book of Revelation that rule the world, a ten-king confederacy. They hate this religion. And they're all, they're, they want to destroy the mystery Babylon religion. And so um, he's at the head of it, this Antichrist. He's at the head of it. Notice in verse 17, Woe, that's pronouncing sorrow and judgment upon, the idol, idol. Okay? Idol. What's that? That is a... Yeah, anything you put ahead of God. That's some kind of an object that's used as an aid to religious worship. And it is anything that you put between you and God, put ahead of you and God. Good ways to explain it. So this shepherd deals with idols. And he's... Religious... That's okay. That's back. So he's a religious person. He's a shepherd. He's shepherding souls. Woe to the idol shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm. Right arm speaks of power. And upon his right eye. And uh, his arm shall be clean dried up. And his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So when he's assassinated, maybe he's assassinated like JFK. JFK was shot to death in the back of a moving vehicle. And maybe when he shot, he shot in the eye. And when he comes back, he has a patch. It, it's you know, it's, it's a, at least possible because it says there's something wrong with his right eye. However, he's cut off. He's a religious man. And when he's cut off, all that three and a half years of making peace with Israel, that peace compact, which is a religious thing, letting them do their daily sacrifices, when he's cut off, 
That's the end of the daily sacrifices of the Jews and the beginning of their persecution. He desecrates the temple. He sits on the mercy seat. He declares that he is God. And all of those things happen at that time. And then he says, now you worship me as God or else it's off with your head. So that is the Antichrist. Now next week, I want to come back together and talk about he who now letteth. Talk about the restrainer of evil um, during the tribulation period. The restrainer of evil, it looks like, is taken out of the way. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that the church? Um, but there's a time on, on this planet that's coming that is unlike anything this world has ever seen. If you think it's bad now, buckle up. Just wait. It's going to get worse. Um, and we're not going to be here for it, as we keep saying. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so intricate, so many details. Lord, it's so hard. I'm fumbling around and, and stuttering and, and trying to explain this clearly. Uh, it's, it's, it's not easy. This, this is not easy study. It's not meant to be. You said it's work. And Lord, we want to study to show ourselves approved unto you. So I pray that you'd give us further light. In the scriptures, Lord, um, in the meantime, we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, I pray that when you come back, you'll find us faithfully serving you, waiting for you, trying to lead others to Christ. Help us to be faithful in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen.